Hello and welcome to Let the Bird Fly, a podcast about living freely in a world given back to us. This will be our third episode in our Winging It series on the life of Martin Luther. Um, The first episode, we kind of just set the stage and why we should study Luther. This uh, second episode, we got into um, not really his birth and his childhood, but just what would it be like to be somebody like Luther uh, growing up in Mansfeld and just kind of what what the lay of the land culturally kind of stuff. And today we're going to try to concentrate on his education. We'll see how far we get. And before I get going, I think what I'll do is I'll just kind of lay out the schools that he went to and then uh, kick it to Wade and he can get the conversation going. So uh, Luther's born uh, 1483, November 10th. We're going to stick with that date. And that's in Eisleben. But a lot of people don't realize is that very young age, one, he, uh, the family is moved to Mansfeld. So he's he's a Mansfeld kid, even though he was born in Eisleben and dies in Eisleben. Uh, the family went to Mansfeld, where Hans is going to try to earn a living for his family. There, he later he's going to start in the Latin school, and he's going to study the trivium, uh, grammar, logic, and rhetoric. He does fairly well. And then uh, in 1497, about, we think about age 13, he then is going to continue at the Latin school in Magdeburg, perhaps uh, the cathedral school there taught by the Brethren of the Common Life. But he's only there for a short time, I think just one year. And then he goes to Eisenach, perhaps at the, I think for sure we know the School of St. George. And um, there is where he really kind of starts to develop a little bit more. Uh, there's the Lindemann cousins. That's from his mother's side, right, Wade? And then yep. uh, he's also going to um, really excel at music and other things like that and prepare himself for the university. And uh, the university studies are going to be at Erfurt uh, very early on, probably as early as age 17, but it seems, you know... I, about the right age when we go to university today and he's going to do his undergraduate studies and eventually try to get into the law school and he does and uh, that's for a different episode how he changes professions from law and then becomes an Augustinian friar. So those are kind of the bare bone facts of where he was, um, a Mansfeld kid and each, I think each kind of rung he gets to like a, a bigger and better town. Maybe, maybe that's, I don't know how accurate that is, but certainly Erfurt would have been quite something to see. Uh, there would have been, um, uh, as many clergy and, uh, university students as there was anybody else walking around that town too. And so, uh, he is definitely slowly and, um, I shouldn't say slowly, actually quite quickly, uh, going through the educational process like a normal child would, but he's at the top of his class as well, too. Uh, nothing really sticks out where you go, that guy's a savant. At the same time, he was respected by his uh, teachers and by his uh, classmates to say, this guy, he's got something. Uh, his nickname was the philosopher, right? Because it sounded like maybe he liked to get into those debates and, and loved thinking about those great big questions. So, Wade, what are your initial initial thoughts when I say, what's the education of Martin Luther? Yeah, I think it's interesting that he starts off in school in Mansfeld because it wasn't necessarily a given that a, a town or a village like Mansfeld would have a school. Uh, this shows that there was, within the town, at least some interest in having an education for the boys in the town. And it's important for us to remember at this point when we're talking education, we're talking about boys. Uh out of the Reformation, out of Luther's work very much will come a push for universal education of some sort. 
um, public schools even, as he calls upon the princes, the nobles, nobility to support this. But uh, this is by far his least favorite school. And uh, it, uh, it seems like what you might expect of a type of school in a town that you maybe don't expect to have a school um, where you're, you know, the, they see the point of the school is to prepare the students for future study. And there's families that are very invested in this if they're sending their kids to school. And so they're very much going to uh, um, beat into your head, sometimes literally, the things that they think you need to know for your future education. And we can imagine how a mind like Luther's, um, Luther is a very original mind. Whether or not you are a Lutheran, you would have to agree that Mer Luther has a fantastically original mind. He's very, very much capable of looking at things from a fresh perspective. Um, but we can understand how a mind like that would grate under rote learning, memorizing. Uh, we're going to work our way through this declension. And then we're going to get to that declension. If you know what I mean, then you can sympathize a little bit with that. And uh, that was reinforced. That, that's why I was terrible at Latin. Yeah. Because I'm a unique mind. Thank <laughs> you, Wade. The, uh, and the discipline of the time was the discipline of the time. If you think even in our own day, my, uh, my father and I both went to parochial schools. He went to St. Michael's. I went to St. Robert's. Um, but our experiences between the, the two parochial schools, having nuns as teachers, we both had nuns as teachers, A, we both got very good educations. I would not trade my education for anything, so I'm not bashing the school. Um, but the level of discipline he received was very different than the level of discipline I received, even though we still had a... Sister Claude Marie could be a rather terrifying figure. I think I've told the story on here before that my friend Brian got lines in his hair. Mike, you remember when that was popular to get the lines? Yeah. And it turns out that was against the handbook, which how many of us, you know, had, in like sixth grade had read the handbook. And he got called down to Sister Claude Marie's office and he came back with no hair. She shaved his head. Um, and so, I mean, there was discipline, but I remember my dad having, uh, talking about, I believe it was him or a fellow student, the nun holding his head out the window to get some fresh air in, in his ears and asking, can you hear me now, Johnny? <laughs> and, uh, you know, this was just a different day and age. Now, that, of course, was not abusive. We look at the level of discipline at Monsfeld and in Luther's life, and we can say, man, that was abusive. And you know what? If we're, um, even without anachronism, I think just fairly looking at it, in 2018, I'm kind of glad we're not disciplining children like that anymore. And Luther does look back and go, okay, that wasn't super, super great. And yet he's not, he doesn't play the victim card either. Right. And, and this is, you are trying to educate children who aren't necessarily always from backgrounds that have been educated, but the view of children and the view of people was very much not that much different than how you would treat, you know, an ox <laughs> if you, if you wanted it to behave. And any of you who have raised children know the feeling at some point of just, why won't they do what we say? And so to try to get, and especially boys in our own day, and this would be an episode in and of itself, I think, with someone in education or with psych, is um, you know how we do medicate our children. And sometimes you look at boys, especially in the classroom, as young boys, and you know you'll have the teacher say, "Well, they don't want to just sit there." And you go, "Yeah, they're they're young boys, right?" And and so there were a lot of challenges to trying to be a teacher in a classroom like this. But it was normal to have discipline. In fact, in parts of Europe, you would, the teacher would have to show they were proficient with the rod before they would be giving the teaching position. And education was called, in many places, passing under the rod. You were going to put in your time with this. And so it, uh, 
I, I want to frame it within its time, but this was by far Luther's um, least favorite school. We don't hear a lot about teachers that stood out to him there. Um, he does have childhood friends that he'll remember, um, but it, it's very much him getting his bearings underneath him for an education. And this was very much learning your ABCs when it comes to your Latin. Latin vocabulary yeah. first, and then the declensions and stuff like that. Yeah, let me let me just uh, redeem uh, the educational system back then too. I totally agree with uh, the idea of the person who does the worst in class <laughs> gets the dunce hat, and then is punished. Kind of like like the in soccer, where like the the final three um, teams in the league get demerited and go down, or regulated down to the yeah. next. So I. I actually relegated think, is relegated. It? That's right. I think that would be great in our classes. Like if we just said, uh, you know, we're going to grade on a curve. And if you're the last three or four kids, you know, you got to take class over again. Sorry. Well, and they would have some classes would have, I believe it was called the lupus to the wolf who would be the snitch. Like his yeah. job was to snitch on his classmates who hadn't been doing the memorization they were supposed to do. Um, Say what you will, but it got stuff done. <laughs> yeah. And, and that's the thing is it, you needed kids you were expected to get these kids through knowing certain things, and this is how they thought best served that. I don't. It's not necessarily that all everyone who became a teacher was just looking to inflict harm. Um, it uh, it was just how they think thought things were going to be most. Yeah. And even Luther and Augustine will look back at their education and say, "Yeah, sometimes it was too harsh, and we need to incorporate more incentive." But you do need to beat them sometimes. You know, <laughs> even they kind of say. There's a place for the rod or for corporal punishment. And, and a lot of this, just like we talked about with Latin, you got to learn that. You got to learn the tough stuff. And then when you get to, when he starts to get into the higher education, when he, now he's starting to read the classics and stuff, he's not struggling and he can really enjoy it. And so um, it did its job, even though it probably wasn't uh, uh, the best avenue. So, that, and, that, and I think for those interested, Mike, I mentioned in the last session, and I forgot to say where it was, but. Um, I have an article in a Logia from 2011. It's Spare the Rod, Hate the Child, Augustine and Luther on Discipline and Corporal Punishment. It's Logia, Lutheran of Journal, uh, a journal of Lutheran Theology. I'm an editor for that journal, and I'd encourage people, if you're a, a, a layperson who likes theology or a pastor, it's really an affordable and great journal to consider getting either in, in, um, in print or electronically. Mike, I know you've used articles from it with your students or with others as well. Yeah, it's good. And and they actually have a whole uh, warehouse is not the right word, but uh, you can buy uh, the back issues, yeah, the back yeah, issues on a and, CD-ROM. Or yeah, and I think for, for you and I growing up or coming, going to college and seminary, Logia was, was important for us. It really was. And so that's um, Logia issue, uh, or it's... Um, Volume 20, issue number four, Reformation 2011, for those interested. But, Mike, go ahead maybe with the next stage or whatever you want to hit Sure. On. So after uh, Mansfeld, he goes to Magdeburg for one year and then eventually to Eisenach. And I'm not—we don't know why he went from Magdeburg to Eisenach. We, we speculate that there was there was family in Eisenach. Well, we know there was family in Eisenach. Was that really the main reason why he went from Magdeburg? I to, think one of the driving forces is, is that there is family there. It's closer to home. Yeah, and then uh, maybe you could talk about uh, uh, the next step in his education, but also then the the role music played in this education, um, not just as the uh, the kids going around singing for their lunch, so to speak, the the uh, f- 
precursor for what we know as, as caroling, which they did all year long, not just at Christmas, um, but also then a connection to the church, um, being uh, singing in the church, and then how Lu- that really helped Luther along the way, not just in his education, but later as a pastor and as a reformer. Yeah, and I think uh, if I get two minutes just to lead into that, if we're talking about Magdeburg, um, and then Eisenach is especially where we hear about him singing for his uh, his keep, so to speak. But something that comes up a lot with this time in Magdeburg that you mentioned, Mike, and I'll admit Magdeburg is one of my favorite cities in Germany to study. I like visiting it, even though it definitely isn't, you know, it's not Köln or Munich or, or anything like that. Um, but it's very important for Flacius, which is why I'm interested in it. But uh, the Brethren of the Common Life there. So he's at the school, and we believe it was influenced by the Brethren of the Common Life. And this was kind of like a Roman Catholic, um, especially lay devotion, but we might say somewhat pietistic in the sense of Roman Catholic pietistic, not Lutheran, religious movement. And it had begun in the Netherlands, um, and uh, it goes back to a man named Grutte, and uh, it focused on education, but also kind of on a um, simple, plain devotion to Christ. Uh, And it's been said that this perhaps maybe influence the Reformation in some ways. And it's interesting that another person who was educated under the Brethren of the Common Life uh, was, if I'm remembering correctly, was Erasmus. Um, And this shows itself especially in Desiderius Erasmus' Christianity, where he wanted a reform to a more simple Christianity. Um, Some would talk about it as a more apostolic Christianity. Um, But the the devotion there was known as... uh, um, the devote well now we call it the devotio moderna the modern devotion um, and it was kind of some of this budding Catholic renewal taking place at the time uh, contrasted with what was called antiqua or the more ancient way and um, if I'm not mistaken the brethren of the common life it's been a while and Mike if you know better correct me but these were especially lay people who um, basically banded together who worked together who joined forces to live a monastic-like life um, without taking monastic vows. I could be wrong on that. Um, But that does sometimes come up. The issue is he's not in Magdeburg for a very long time, and we don't know a whole lot about his education in Magdeburg. Um, But it is something that comes up oftentimes. And so if you're ever reading a Luther biography and that gets mentioned, uh, that's why that's going to come up. And so it's going to be his Magdeburg time that's very important for that. Um, but then he will make his way back to Eisenach for whatever reasons he makes it back to or to Eisenach, I guess I should say, um, which is a city that is closer to home. It's a city that would have, uh, you know, made Mansfeld pale in comparison when it came to its history, um, its architecture, uh, the amount of activity taking place there. Eisenach's kind of an interesting city because it had. Um, an interesting relationship with its nobility. It had revolted against them a number of times. Never, uh, It didn't ever end well. Um, but if we go to Eisenach, and I would really encourage people to go, at some point, Mike, we got to get a Let the Bird Fly Germany tour. Um, I think this would be actually a blast. And whenever I go to Germany, I try to go to Eisenach. It's one of my favorite cities. It has my favorite uh, meal I've ever had was um, right by the Gerrigenkirche there. But uh, 
you know, towering over Eisenach is the Vortburg, right? It's up on the hill. And the same is with Mansfeld, right? The nobility in many of these places living on the hill. And why would they live on the hill? Well, you can keep track of everything that's happening below. But it just reinforces this stratified um, structure in Germany. And you can understand Luther's emphasis on good order later in life. And, um, and you know that you... Uh, the nobility or the, the, the dukes, the counts, the princes should treat the peasants well, but the peasants also should avoid revolt, right? You see this balance that's kind of ingrained into Luther from this. Um, Eisenach also, if I'm remembering, the Garrigan Kirk is where Bach is baptized, if I'm not mistaken. Um, so th- there's a lot of neat history. It also was a big part of the auto industry in East Germany, um, if I'm remembering as well. So in the day they are, uh, this was very important. But... Um, Right, the German or Deutsche Democratic that would have been East. East I'm confusing these things. In my, I'm thinking too fast today, Mike. <laughs> and uh, but yeah, his singing, it was very common at that time that if you were a school child, you would not only be very active in choirs, but you would sing kind of for your bread, so to speak. And uh, Luther appears to have been very uncomfortable with this begging. Um, when we talk about monastic orders at this time that bagged, we would talk about mendicant orders, mendicacy. We sometimes use that word for people begging. And the American view of beggars very much comes out of Protestantism. Um, Roman Catholicism needed beggars because if you didn't have the poor, how were they going to take your alms to heaven to help you get into heaven? Protestantism will say, how about we just help the poor because we should help the poor and try to get rid of poverty as much as we can. Of course, Jesus says you'll always have the poor among you. And we can kind of see Luther's complaining later about begging and about the mendicant orders. Um, Maybe comes out a little bit of him being uncomfortable with this practice of having to kind of beg to support yourself as a student and then having to sing. But Luther does love singing. Luther does love music. And while he's not going to be a Johann Sebastian Bach or a Beethoven while he's not even going to be what we would have as a parish musician by any means, he's able to play some instruments, and he has a good, uh, fantastic, it seems, ear for music and a great appreciation for the role that it can play in the church. And we'll see that in his hymn. So a lot of that's going to be instilled during his education, and, and he will take to it. There's, you know, this is also a changing time in music. There's um, reactions to polyphony, or however you would say that. We need Zimma to come on. That would be a great episode <laughs> at some point. Um, but he is going to, you know, be inclined towards music that's better for congregational singing later, um, rather than, for instance, with the monks, this one kind of voice that's just going to bounce around. Um, but uh, but this will kind of come out of that as well as I think. Uh, and this is something I can really identify with. I, I hate asking people for a favor. I, I love giving favors, but I, you know, there's kind of that American sense of like, well, it's, I get real uncomfortable. And you can kind of imagine Luther being somewhat uncomfortable with this practice, uh, but music does become very formative for him. Yeah, and maybe just, I don't know that he thought about this at the moment, but uh, when he does enter the observant uh, Augustinian house, um, you know, takes a couple books, and one thing that's mentioned is he left his lute behind, or you know, had to sell it or gave it away. I can't remember which. And uh, you know, going okay, that earthly thing, right? Music, I put aside so that I can be um, take this vow of poverty and vow of, uh, vow of chastity, and and uh, he comes back to all of that, of course, and comes back to music and comes back to the physical life. Um, 
when he realizes that that was an incorrect vow, it was an illegal vow, if you want to say it, um, in, in a certain way, uh, and, it, and when he re- rediscovers the gospel. So uh, going back to he, he just kind of a, a scene of his day, you know, he's, he's, um, he's living a strict lifestyle when it comes to you, you have your schedule. You know, you get up in the morning with all the boys and you eat breakfast with the boys and then you go to your prescribed classes with the boys and you do your studies with the boys. You go to ch- church with your, your classmates, the boys, and then you, you sing for your all that, this kind of stuff and living together, ha- having this kind of, uh, of lifestyle. And I wonder if there is there is some brotherhood stuff that goes there when, when even I think in Magdeburg is when he gets Wenzel link in his life. It wasn't eyes. I think it's even that one year. That's a lifelong friend. Uh, when he gets into the university, then he has an experience that we had going through kind of a similar situation where you're, you're hashing things out in the middle of the night with your, with your, with your guys, with your friends. And uh, that's where Eustace, Jonas, right, is we find uh, comes onto the scene. A couple other John Lane comes on. These are lifelong friends that are from his um, his formative years, um, and so Eisenach's important to him just as much as Erfurt, Erfurt is too. Both of those things on on his what we'd call maybe more his high school years and then his college years. And uh, I think most of us, if we've had this experience, think of if you live if you went to college and you lived in the dorms. Now multiply that by a number of years. Um, not that Luther's always dorming with everybody necessarily, but uh, it's that type of relationship that you're having in a camaraderie that would be built. Yeah, and sometimes living with a, a family here or there, or whatever, taking his meals over here, and um, definitely not his own man. You didn't, you didn't, you know. I, I'm sure they could get in trouble. I'm sure they could sneak out and stuff like that. But not living your own life, you're part of this, and you're going through it as as a cohort, as a group. And there, there's some benefits to that. I, I think sometimes we poo poo that a little bit in our contemporary situation, but there's some benefits there. There, it's something to see, um, the high school quarterback call his mommy at home. You know, um, there's something to be said about a leveling field there. And those who maybe are not as athletic and, uh, um, good looking and popular and stuff. Peter. Yeah. Someone like Peter is then appreciated for his intellect. Um, you don't, you don't get, you can't hide. You I'm can't, just testing if Peter actually <laughs> listens to the one he's, he, that he's not he on. edits it, that out or not. Uh, you can, you don't get to hide your flaws when you live in a dormitory and go through as a cohort. And, and out of that comes, uh, some of the deepest friend, friendships that you'll ever have. So uh, th- there's something to think about there when you start thinking about these great names that keep coming back up in his biographies. Some of them he knew very early on, well before he was known as a reformer. So anyway, he's doing well at school, and this is where he gets in contact with, uh, what? Fa- why is that, this family starts with an S, it's blank in my name right now, the Shabbles? Sh- uh, that sounds right. Yeah. yeah. And so they seem to be, I don't know if a wealthy family is the right way to describe it, but uh, kind of sort of take him in. And it seems that he, that they recognized his talent, right? Or that there's something going on here. And so just the... He got, it seems he got a lot more encouragement in Eisenach yeah. than elsewhere. Even his teachers, he has, you know, certain places, sometimes teachers who stand out, and it's in Eisenach that the teacher probably who... 
Trebonius. He says formed him most. Uh, uh, begins with a G. What did you say? Well, there's Trebonius was the master, right? That, and then there's, that and then, maybe that could yeah. be that. And then um, there is no, that the other teacher I know you're talking about too, yeah. But, uh, the, Gelden you know, Numf. Is that right? Begins with a G? Yeah. Yeah, it's probably, I got a lot floating in my head right now. <laughs> we are, Mike and I are this so committed that we are recording this during finals week at the college. So we're taking a break from uh, grading stuff about all other topics, but this, although Mike has one class on Luther right now. Um, but yeah, this this teacher is very, for, it seems here that there's people in his life who he, uh, he, he grows relationships that he cherishes, but that also push him on, you know, and, and there's accounts of, you know, people in Eisenach who are fostering educated discussion among the students. Hey, why don't you come hang come out, out and we'll, house, have, yeah. we'll have a good conversation. Here's some books I'll loan you to kind of stoke interest outside the classroom. Yeah, and that you could see already um, maybe in the back of his mind this is what's going to become table talk. Not that he said, okay, I'm going to start table talk, but that he was then willing to open up his house in the evening for people who wanted to have these discussions. Just a beautiful thing. And there is a, a, a patronage there, if not by money, but by um, encouragement. And uh, I just think about uh, a student that wrote a paper for me, and and I told um, I told her, this is good enough that if you go to graduate school, which she maybe is planning on doing, that you could expand this, and this could be a master's thesis, right? It's good for us to. Uh, say those kinds of things to the people in our our churches. Um, for us, it's easier because the students are, are are right right there in front of us all the time. But but that little encouragement really goes a long way. And I <clears throat> I just wonder how much that that meant to Luther. I, I think we he he does talk fondly upon these days and these people, and it really does matter. You can think about such a brilliant guy and even at this time starting to be recognized as somebody who's a little bit a little bit smarter or or has got something he's got that one thing that maybe you can't put your finger on he gets it um, that they still need that encouragement um, they need still need someone to say you know what let's just be honest here what you got here is a little bit unique and, and you, you nailed both things by the way Mike it was the Schauble family and the teacher is gilded up so yes. Um, yes. I'm very impressed. I, I think, you know, that could be an episode in and of itself, but that that Luther we see already early on in childhood is very much enjoys the company of others that want to have good conversations about stuff. And I think you just nailed a connection there that we could, that you could say, well, you're guessing at that connection, but I think there's something there. That later in life he will imitate the encounters he appreciated with others, which is to welcome someone in your home and to you know, to have tish rate and to have table talk. Um, and I think, well, this just in our own day, this is where if you're going to pastor's conference but not going to the Gemutlichite, you're missing out of a good portion of the purpose of a pastor's conference. If you, uh, you know, are, um, are not spending some time with family talking about some fun ideas, you're having, you're missing out on a fun part of a relationship. I very much, Mike. You probably can't guess, but right, I like being. Let's sit out in the backyard. Let's sit at someone's house. Maybe not mine because it's a mess. Um, let's go to the to Benos. You know, let's go sit in the in the pub or at the coffee house. There is a certain extent to you have ideas from books, but then you hash them out with others. 
And even later... It makes learning fun. Yeah, and even the translation of the Old Testament or other important works later that Luther will do, this is done with other people. Even many of his great works that go out, he's talking about these with other people. And so this is something that will begin very early on in his education and will become important for later. And really, this podcast is an outgrowth of, you know, hey, maybe if we start a podcast, our wives won't just say, hey, we're going to the bar and talking. We get to get together. And because we have microphones in front of us, it seems more legitimate. But we get to sit and talk stuff out. You know, and I get today I'm all amped up on caffeine and I'm kind of pacing as Mike is a trooper and just kind of keeping us somewhat on task. But this, um, the teachers Luther remembers most are the ones who who wanted his students to have more than just a relationship as teacher student. He wanted they wanted their students to actually be talking about this stuff, take it back to the not just take the test and they put in their time, but to kind of create that environment. And I think that's something that sadly is lost in our own day. I think it's partly lost for fear of lawsuits, like. You know, you get anywhere with a student of, and I'm not talking sexual harassment, or I'm just talking, right, liability stuff. Mm -hmm. Um, But some of my favorite memories from my own education is, you know, when in grad school the professors would come out to the bar with us, or in seminary when we had something in the basement of the dorms and professor came and spoke about something he was working on, but outside of that classroom setting. Um, College, similarly, when we would have spam stuff, I think there's something to that, and that very much is how... He was not, you know, John Kelvin also very much treasured his friendships, but he was kind of more of an independent thinker, right? He could sit in the quiet and learn and write. Luther very much is a preacher, is a teacher, is a friend who then pours that into his writings. And I think the Eisenach years are especially formative for that. And you got to have the opportunity to speak freely without having let's just say a record yeah. <laughs> of everything. He's the philosopher. He's yeah. debating stuff with his yeah. friends and loving it. That you can pick, that someone later is going to pick apart, and then you become shy with that. You become shy with having an opinion at all. And that stifles conversation. It stifles the joy of learning. It stifles progress. It stifles all sorts of things. And so it is kind of, you can't it, you can't do this necessarily in a, um, you know, an electronic way, right? You got to be face-to-face uh, for the the purpose of a full communication, but also that um, you, you, you're more you're more genuine that way. You're also more forgiving that way and charitable to the other person's opinion because you're not gonna you're not gonna say the stuff you say online to their face, <laughs> and you can't come back and pick apart what what somebody said in uh, the heated of, of a debate. But his skills of debating, of course, are then going to be in the, in the style of education there, a dialectic style, and even like we're going to debate this and then we're going to have students come in and debate this like they're almost like they're professors, yeah. you know, um, and see this happening, uh, you know, even when Luther's a professor, right? Um, writing thesis then for students who then will to talk it out uh so you have this kind of sharp mind at the same time there's maybe some criticisms of that style i think uh we're we're seeing already um before luther comes and starts his you know uh disputation on scholastic theology and the the wittenberg way versus the 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 way the old way of doing theology and and his attacks on scholasticism we already see scholasticism being chipped away by the humanist uh, efforts there and so again an exciting time for luther to go to university right where um there are some questions here about the old way of doing things and i can imagine them even if it wasn't in the clear uh 
ways that we talk about it as we systemize okay this is the scholastic way this is this way this is that way but uh, they, they would have been aware of that and i i just imagine these you know these two 20 year olds who think they know everything and don't know anything but are actually hashing this stuff out um do is aristotle is is aquinas is this the right way to learn is this you know how, how does this play out when i'm a professor i will yeah. do it this way kind of thing well and i think um two things with that is uh you know, you have this devotia moderna. We don't know how much that impact Luther, but also nominalism, realism, and we'll get into that maybe if we record next time on the university more. And Luther's going to have teachers who are nominalists. You, you do have a lot of stimulating discussion going on at this. We tend to think, oh, they're just debating how many angels can dance on the head of a needle. Well, even when they're debating that, mm-hmm. there's some pretty interesting stuff in play, right? It's not just like they were bored. Um, but I think the conversational tone of things shows itself in how Luther would publish things too. It was it was common when you would write a letter to someone or publish something to kind of keep like the original so that you could prove that someone else didn't t- switch your words and try to use it against you. But even with his handwritten things, um, so things where people could say, oh, that's your hand, Luther. Luther's very conversational in his letters and he does not keep an original. He doesn't keep a duplicate. He just kind of puts it out there. And I think that goes to... Now, sometimes that played to his weakness um, because he comes across as harsh or... When you let the bird fly, you may get burned. Yeah, but that um, at the same time, he recognizes he's willing to be corrected or to grow um, less so as he ages and is constipated and has kidney stones. Um, but it, uh, I think that that aspect of who he was really comes out. Uh, I think we're kind of getting to the end of where we should be time-wise for this one. And I think we'll pick up next time, hopefully, with the university. The plan is to drop at least three or four of these at the beginning so you can hopefully kind of binge over the holidays. Um, The first one is produced. Uh, We will get these two produced and then hopefully do so. I would just encourage you as we're wrapping up, if you have found any of these Winging It series helpful, whether it be the one on the Divine Service or Church History or now this one, please do um, like it online when we're sharing it. Think about giving it a, us a rating or a review, especially on iTunes, but elsewhere as well. Share, Share it with it. your friends. Yeah. That's a huge thing to get stuff out there. Um, and, and that's not just selfish so that we can say, oh, look, we have more downloads. It really does expand the conversation. A lot of the stuff that we get in contact with people, people we've come to know, materials that get sent to us to talk about, comes through that conversation expanding. And I know I personally, and I think you too, Mike, we, we dig a growing conversation to have, you know, hey, here's someone who's got an ex- expertise in this that we don't know a lot about, um, but also to become aware of materials we don't know are out there. So- and, and we're okay being criticized, too. I mean, we, we re- regularly get, uh, you got this detail wrong, and we're fine with that. Well, we've been criticizing each other for roughly 20-something right. years. We're used to it. <laughs> we have thick skin. So uh, please do consider doing that. We really appreciate the shares. We really appreciate you helping us get stuff out there. If you're following the website, you might have noticed we're trying to get some regular blog, especially devotional content, out during the Advent season. Um, when we get closer to Christmas, we'll be doing the, uh, what's the? O antiphons. The O antiphons again. Um, we'll get the episode from the past on that to help explain what that is. But we've got daily devotional content set up for the near future, or at least semi-regular, if not daily. Um, if you find those helpful, please do share that as well. We uh, we do really want to get some good law gospel stuff out there. 
hopefully good stuff. We're trying. At a time when people are maybe more open to it than other times um, with the holiday seasons, but especially to people are traveling. And this is when they're on their phone, you know, uh, or listening to something on the plane in the car. So please do uh, think about sharing that if you find it helpful. You can sign up for the emails for that too if you would like to get that content for a way to start off your day. I'm trying to have that, the written content drop at 6 a.m. each day when it comes out so you have it for your morning. Uh, That being said, um, we are uh, happy to be members of the 1517 Podcasting Network. Their campaign is still going on to help to raise funds for next year to support the podcast that they have. It's a growing network of podcasts, and I know, Mike, I'm a regular listener to a number of them, as are you. You can go to 1517.org. I believe it's slash give, but if you go to the website, you'll be able to find it easily. If you would like to give to that, if you choose to give, maybe mention Let the Bird Fly, that you're digging our podcast, and and that's part of why you're giving. Um, That's always helpful uh, for us to know, too. It's an encouragement to us. All that being said, Luther's, uh, we got into some of his background childhood. We've got him up to the university. And until then, we hope that you will uh, let the bird fly. Uh, every evening when the sun goes down, get with my party and I begin to cry. I don't care what the people are thinking. I'm not drunk. I'm just a janker. I set him up another round. I set him up another round. I set him up another round. One more round won't get me down. And I said, honey, honey, I don't care what the people are thinking. I'm not drunk, I'm just a jinx.